0: Welcome to today's edition of the Paul List Comics and Culture Podcast. Every day I pick a comic, and then I provide some analysis, discussion, and critical engagement. I'm 2Ply on Twitter at TWOPLAI. My perspective is as a cultural critic, academic, and a teacher and preacher. So I try to be analytical, since sometimes I get philosophical, sometimes I get a little spiritual. Well, since I do analysis of a comic's work each day for... About 20 minutes. I do get into the details, so I always suggest that you read the work first, whether you buy it from your local retailer or digitally. Yes, that's a lightweight spoiler warning. All right, let's dig deep. Hey, it's still Wednesday, and earlier today I released my poll list episode, um, along with talking about Jessica Abel's "Out on the Wire," and I uh, made a grave mistake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was that somehow I overlooked mentioning one of the books that uh, I'm actually most excited about coming out. And, um, you know, I'll, in full transparency, the reason why it came to my attention is because um, I tweeted about the Wednesday episode about Out on the Wire. And um, somebody that I uh, am acquainted with retweeted my tweet, and it was none other than artist Justin Greenwood who um, I'll describe in a minute that I've spent a little bit of time with. and It was really nice of him to take my Totally Unknown podcast and to retweet my tweet about the episode. But I also saw on his feed that um, he was, you know, folks were shouting him out because uh, The Fuse issue 19 was being released today. And I thought, how in the world did I miss a new story arc of The Fuse, which, you know, I'm Really excited about how did I miss that and talking about it in my pull list episode and uh, went back and looked at the previous world site and I think it's because it was a whole list of, um, you know, back issues of the fix that were being uh, re-released and somehow the fix and f- the fuse, I just kind of missed it looking over that list. Um, it's a grievous error because the fuse is one of the t- the three or four image books that I um, that I keep up with every month. Uh, because it's a book that i'm excited about i end up rereading it so often because you sort of um benefit from from uh rereading to follow what's going on in every one of the arcs um because it's so tightly plotted um and so i thought i'd just do throw in a little extra episode um not really as a thank you to justin so much as to um, make up for my oversight and actually a chance to kind of geek out about a book that i wouldn't be able to talk about for a while until it came out in trade on the tuesday trade and so i want to talk a little bit about the fuse number 19 um while i'm at it here in this court kind of this extra sewed um of the paulist podcast um it's The Fuse, if you haven't read it, um, and I'm not going to spoil too much, I'm not going to give away too much here, although I hope I talk about it in a way that um, readers of the book will appreciate. Um, the Fuse 19 is this, the first of six issues of their fourth story arc. Um, the first three-story arcs uh, began. It began with the Russian Shift, Gridlock, and then Perihelion was the latest arc that wrapped up and uh, was collected. And they've been on a pretty good schedule. It's sort of the Image Comics saga schedule, where they'll release an arc um, in consecutive sequence, um, and then they'll collect it uh, and then uh, take a little break and then begin the next arc. In the case of the Fuse, they've sort of—I uh, think—they've been six-issue arcs every single uh, one of the first three. Um, and so that's a hefty amount of comics making. Um, and that takes no little work. Um, it's also a satisfying chunk of storytelling. And so the premise of the fuse is that, um, our, uh, uh, it takes place on a, um, I should probably have brushed up here, (laughs) but, um, it takes place on a, uh, orbiting platform, uh, sort of a, orbiting energy platform that um is it's sort of a sci-fi context a sci-fi setting and um it's called the fuse even though it has um, another name i can't remember what it is because it's um it looks like a fuse and i think that's a perfect sort of almost industrial uh, metaphor for the kind of place that it is because even though it's sci-fi it sort of doesn't have the star trek star warsy romance um it's a very kind of um a, a dirty dingy gritty kind of uh, sci-fi setting and the sci-fi setting is actually more setting than anything because the stories themselves are very much um, procedural type um, detective and crime stories and um, it's interesting this genre mashup Anthony Johnston who is the writer on this book um, is really good at genre stuff um, I think he's got just an awareness of what the tropes are and how to play with them to make intriguing stories and how to make the how to work within the genre um to to you know meet the expectations but to um still keep it lively and to sort of draw from what he thinks are the best uh and uh, the best elements of the genre and uh, i think he does it really well with the fuse um when I read it initially, what first actually attracted me to the book was the design of the covers, which uh, Johnston himself is responsible for. He's got a certain aesthetic. He's a he's a very well dressed man in the times that I've met him or seen him. Um, but uh, the design of the covers just looked really cool. I picked up the the book. Uh, I was just instantly engrossed with the story and really loved the art which is what i'm going to spend some time talking about but um like many episodic tv shows you know your your csis or your good wife or whatever especially the ones that are on broadcast tv there's this aspect of the fuse where there's a weekly story you know sort of the the arc and then there's sort of a long-term arc um a, a gradual development that's tends to be um more subtly woven in uh often at the end of the story there's some built intrigue uh, around the main characters Um, and I think what's going on is that in this fourth arc um, which uh, is called mm, I gotta flip it open give me a second but in this fourth arc it seems like there's a great kind of culmination going on Um, Johnston has always been a very crafty as I was saying genre raconteur he knows how to Take the the elements of genre and really make them work. And when I first started reading the Fuse, I I wondered if you know it was uh, it read as a really good crime detective procedural. I wondered why the sci-fi element was necessary. I think the more I read it, the more I uh, can appreciate why um, why these stories. Are better served taking place in the kind of isolated, um, you know, sort of orbiting spaceship type city that um, that the fuse is. Um, so this this new arc it's called Constant Orbital Revolutions. Um, issue 19 just started it. I definitely recommend that you check it out. Um, and I just I think what I love about the book uh, there's a great note. It's sort of the um, you know opening preface here. And uh, the creators write, you know, previously, and then they say, come on, did you miss where it says part one? You know, you you, uh, and they really strongly encourage you to read the first three arcs, which you really should. Um, (laughs) um, But and but the reason is not just to um, support the book, but um, I just I really love that at that point in actually in 19 issues, which a lot of the comics that I read go 19 issues and don't achieve this. Um, our two heroes, our two main protagonists have this so much depth that by now my feelings about them are, mm, are complex and, um, but, and, but I, but I'm, I absolutely sympathize with the, the heroes in a way that, uh, you know, only the sort of best television dramas and really finely written comics achieve for me. Um, you have Clem, uh, who is, uh, sort of this, uh, This older, you know, 60-plus detective. I love that she has so many sides, uh, so many shades to her. Sometimes she's cynical. Sometimes she's hardened. Sometimes she's tender. Sometimes she's touchy. Sometimes she's sardonic. And you just really get a sense of a a very finely drawn character. Um, There's complexity in Clem. And uh, she's just awesome. She's just kick kick butt. Um, And then her partner, who is... You know, she's sort of the old cop. He's the new cop. Um, Dietrich has a lot of mysteries. Uh, I won't give too much away about that. But but he, he also has this sort of very genial um, German, uh, black sort of detective uh, with, you know, a, a mysterious background. Sometimes he's kind of naive. Sometimes he's kind of stiff. Sometimes he's methodical. Sometimes he's uber competent. Sometimes he's outraged. And, you know, y- you can really... Um, you can really see that the momentum of the series is headed towards the contradiction you know towards confronting the contradictions that are in these characters and potentially the tensions between them but but really paying off the bond that's formed between them and i love that you know this is a procedural book it's sci-fi it's got all these genre things but it really boils down especially at this point to to the characters to you caring about the characters and um and i love that Um, One of the things that I'm proud of in this very office that I'm sitting in, I have a few pieces of original art on my wall. Um, I'm not like a wealthy collector, so it's not like I have my, um, you know, page of Jack Kirby New Gods or something like that. But I do have one of the proud pieces that I own is a page of Justin Greenwood's art from uh, I think it's the the, from the first issue of the Fuse, and it's a page where Clem and and uh Dietrich or as she, she likes to call him Marlena as in Marlena Dietrich uh are sort of uh going back and forth on two sides of the page and they're you know puzzling their way to the next step of their mystery and i love the page because well i love the storytelling that um greenwood accomplishes in it but i also love that this book is really about these two characters you know very obviously um, in some ways diametrically opposed they're clearly character foils for one another but they're also just um there's a there's a chemistry that is you know strikes you right off the bat and um this back and forth between the the two characters kind of leads them at the bottom of the page to a kind of aha and the paneling uh really demonstrates that in the the way that um they're sort of asking questions back and forth and you know there's there's no um, speech balloons obviously in this page of original art Um, and yet you can or you can kind of imagine you can see the the communication and the chemistry between these characters Um, and so that kind of really leads me to what I really love about this book and um, I'm gonna show a little bias I'll give the background Um, I started reading the fuse as I said because something about the cover design attracted me to the book, um, and I found that it was really. I, I knew about Anthony Johnston, it was really Justin Greenwood uh, whose work I loved on this. Um, he, he also does the art on Stumptown, uh, more recently, had a series called Stringers from Oni Press. Uh, Stumptown's from Oni as well. And uh, those, those books also get my props. And he's working now with um, a number of really accomplished writers Greg Ruck on Stumptown, um, Mark Guggenheim on Stringers. And, um, and so I met him at a con and was really surprised and delighted to find out that he's also a Bay Area guy. Um, actually, not too far from, from where I am here in the Bay Area. And so I, um, I asked him about interviewing him for a column that I wanted to write about him for Multiversity Comics, where I occasionally write long-form columns. And uh, he was just so generous. I mean, he was super kind. Um, and so you know this is often true in the comics industry that these artists that you meet these creators that you meet um, turn out to be really really cool people and um, what's what was cool to me was that Justin's art was of a kind and I'll wax about this in a bit but it was a kind that I really really liked I really really enjoyed and then to find out that he not only lived uh, not too far from me, but, uh, was actually just a super, super nice guy. Um, super cool guy, um, was, was really, really fun. I mean, that was just it was one of the comics highlights of the last few years for me. Um, and so, um, I, I did get to interview him. I did get to spend a little bit of time. Uh, he was kind enough to let me see him work a little bit. Um, and, and we, we sort of got to know each other a little bit. And, um, and it, it just was a, overall gratifying thing i think what what i would say is that um the most exciting thing was that i found that the things that i p- presumed about him because of what i loved about his art turned out to be very reflective and true of his his person personality and um and that's just cool i mean that's just like about as fun as it could get um I, I i wouldn't say that i'm an insider i don't know a lot of comics creators i've only talked to a few um but you know of the ones that i have um, you know, they, they've they been sort of universally very, very nice, and um, Justin really has been um, incredibly nice, incredibly cool guy. Um, but I actually want to talk about his art um, apart from the person. Um, although, as I said, what I met and saw of the person reflected in the art, and uh, one day I'm I'm going to finish the column that I started. This was months ago, so this is one of my overdue pieces of writing, but I'm going to finish the column that I started writing about Justin and his work. Um, but this is sort of my warm-up for that. Uh, and, and and the thing to say about his art, and and I think this is you know, on display in um, Fuse issue 19, is that um, Justin has a knack for being, um, he, to me, he is the most roll-up-your-sleeves cartoonist in comics today. And I hope that doesn't sound like I'm damning him with faint praise. I just pray, hope that you give me a chance to, to explain. But um, I really feel like he's the most roll-up-your-sleeves roll up cartoonist in comics today. And I have huge respect for that. And to kind of illustrate what I mean, I'll talk a little bit about my, my favorite cartoonist um, when I first became a, um, a diehard comics fan. Uh, my first favorite cartoonist was, uh, was Chester Gould, who was the artist of Dick Tracy. Um, when I was a kid, the Dick Tracy movie came out. And so after, you know, a childhood of Dragon Ball as a Chinese kid and then um, Ninja Turtles and Batman and sort of one passion after the other, um, suddenly I had access because they were reprinting a whole bunch of the old comic strips. I had access to Dick Tracy and man, I fell hard for Dick Tracy. I mean, you know, some kids were into it at the time. It was kind of a passing fad because of that uh, Warren Beatty movie. But for me, I was stuck and I, um, you know, went after those the the you know, the new reprints, the old reprints, whatever reprints I could find. And um, by that point, I was already pretty versed with um, not just comics generally, but even that specific era of comic strip artists, you know, that, that, you know, hugely important and influential era stretching from the 20s to, let's say, the 50s, um, when comic strips were king, <laughs> you know were king features king king syndicates um and uh, all the syndicates and they controlled the newspaper comic strips and they were huge you know they were huge in in the popular media and popular imagination they were kid stuff they were grown-up stuff and um and and dick tracy was huge among them and dick tracy was you know was my favorite looking back at it from a you know 1980s 1990s kid lens um and Chester Gould, uh, you know, there's things that I, you know, in my adulthood look at and, and sort of, you know, don't, necess- don't necessarily resonate with who I am now. But, but I, there's other things about him that still speak true to a deep part of my heart. Um, at the time, you know, you had um, some, some amazing artists. You had, you know, your Hal Foster's and your Alex Raymond's, um, you know, Prince Valiant and, and um, Buck Rogers and so forth. But um, probably, I would say the pinnacle of that vein of art would be Milton Kniff. Um, Milton Kniff, artist of uh, uh, Steve Canyon. And uh, whew, man, I'm blanking on Milton Kniff's big big comic strip. This is terrible. It's late. <laughs> um, his stuff was beautiful. Um, but there was something about his work. It was very cinematic. It was very theatrical. But to me, it was missing something. It was just so polished. And... And actually, I loved it. it you know, Kenneth's art was, was just awesome. It was beautiful. It, it was the kind of thing that, you know, your later Alex Toth's and, and then eventually into like your Neil Adams and anybody who sort of had this slickness of, of drawing, uh, this realism, but still, um, still a kind of um, uh, selectiveness uh, that was really canny, that really formed what r- realist cartooning looked like. Um, so Chester Gould was not that, and although I had respect for that kind of work, it still left me a little cold. Um, I would look at a page of Steam Canyon, and it would look beautiful, but I didn't want to read it. <laughs> I was not actually interested in the stories. I couldn't penetrate the exterior of those characters. On the other hand, you know, at the same time, you had your Windsor McKay, you had your, your E.C. Seeger uh, of Popeye fame, you had Harold Gray, who did Little Orphan Annie, you had um, Al Cap, uh, who did uh, Lil Abner. And, and those artists played a lot more with caricature, with um, abstract sort of impressionism, with you know, cartooning, as you think of cartooning, um, even if they were doing more um, realistic stories or at least serious stories. And um, somewhere between the caricature and the exaggeration of those artists and then the realism of your um, Alex Raymond's and your Milton Kniff's stood Chester Gould. And he was so influential uh, that um, the whole Chicago Tribune line of cartoonists took after him. And there's something about his art that is, um, uh, there's a great piece in the Comics Journal of a few years ago by somebody named Frank Young called The Gould Rush about um, Chester Gould and how he reflected this certain kind of pathos of that era of America. Young writes, he's an American crazy and, and an American kind of crazy, and, and we feel right at home in it. There's this uh, quote he, to quote him, he says, "He has an angular, flat style that appealed to the pop art generation. Um, that, and, and, and Gould had this savant skill as a storyteller, writes uh, Frank Young. Uh, and there was something about the not only how he told stories, but also how he drew that had a way of sucking the reader. Uh, to quote again, to suck the reader into his world, and I, some of it I think I can analyze. Some of it has to do with, you know, use of angles and close-ups. Some of it has to do with the um, abstraction of faces and figures and forms. Some of it has to do with um, staging or framing. Um, uh, Gould would would sometimes be, you know, could be super poignant or dramatic. He could use shadows and and chiaroscuro incredibly. Uh, ably Um, he could also be hyper detailed you know drawing whether it's like buildings or devices or whatever almost architectural or mechanical and uh, but sometimes he was just awkward you know (laughs) it's like clearly using shorthands you know this this character is always from a three-quarter angle and this other character is always from the profile um, (laughs) uh, like where there'd be an arm that came out of the side of the Of the panel because that was just the easiest way to draw it you know and then the uh you know sort of awkward bend of the neck because the face was always turned in the same direction Uh, there was something we were kind of somewhere between the cubist abstract and then sort of comic realist and um and you know i i i think what it was about gould was that you could Get a sense, and, I, and you know, in the pictures that you see of him, well, most cartoonists in the time, but, but the pictures you see of him, he's always in a shirt and tie, you know, like, like folks in those days always did, and he always had his sleeves rolled up, and I always got this sense of Chester Gould as this sort of, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I'm going to get messy into the ink uh, to create something clean, something legible, and something that's just going to keep you wrapped uh, that was Chester Gould. Uh, and, you know, you could formally critique it. Uh, some of his characters were just um, so surreal. They were to the point of ridiculous. Um, but, you know, there's some, there's kind of a principle about cartooning, cartoon art, right? So you learn early in art if you're, you know, drawing, if you're interested in an art class to pay attention to light and shadow. Um, if you're doing color, your hue and your saturation and so forth. And, um, and there's this idea that, you know, you, you draw, you frame something a certain way, and then you have to draw the shadows to, to pick the light. Um, but in cartooning, what happens is that if you cast every shadow accurately, what you actually do is you end up providing a lot of visual distraction that gets in the way. And so there are certain artists who use shadow, and, you know, actually every artist that I can think of who, like, very effectively use shadow, again, from Alex Toth's to your mike mignolas who uh, the shadow is hard to scientifically you know you can't always point to a place where the light source uh, accurately would cast that kind of shadow or it would make sense in that way but it's not the it's not the sort of like plausibility of the shadows that matter but it's the impression of them it's knowing it's being canny about where to use them to give you the sense of the presence of real light and dark right not necessarily whether it actually makes sense whether this light source or that light source would cast that kind of shadow right and I, I say that as just as as an example you know there's some artists who are just gorgeous at getting the folds in in every piece of fabric right you know you your alex ross is going to make fabric look like fabric um for an artist like chester gould or to come back to the point of what i was saying all this for an artist like justin greenwood uh, they roll up their sleeves. They understand the visual shorthand of something like a fabric fold, but they're not slavishly pedantic about them. You know, they're not obsessed with the accuracy at the expense of what they really do, which is to tell a dang good story, you know? So if you're not attending to all these, this, you know, I think minutia and you can see on his pages, the choices that he's making, I'm not going to over-focus on this. Instead, What he is attending to is the readability, is the communication, is the momentum, is the the pitch of the story that keeps you absorbed in it. And so when I think of writers like Rucka and Johnston and Guggenheim, I think what they must love about working with somebody like Justin Greenwood is that he's not the kind of artist who's arrogantly obsessing over his mastery of every tool. You know, his craft is subsumed to the story. And so he's never like, hey, look what I can do. You know, here's a ridiculous bird's eye or here's a, you know, carefully tuned you know posed action shot where you know spider-man has his leg in sort of a ridiculous place because look how cool that looks you know not that justin's work doesn't look cool Uh, i think it's a different kind of aesthetic of cool um or you know he's not here's some untenably complicated tech you know with 18 buttons that clearly uh, nobody could functionally use Um, what Justin does is he's a cartoonist and for the kind of work that he's doing, um, in this case, a crime detective procedural, not that unlike Dick Tracy, a kind that sort of, um, gets you in its grips, um, efficiently and economically tells you the story, um, but gives you enough character acting, uh, that, you know, our primary concern is not the quality of the foreshortening or, you know, the absolute, um, uh slavish care over tangent lines, uh although that affects readability, and I think his readability is awesome it's really just the letting the characters be characters, letting the their uh personalities come out um letting the relationships and the dynamics and the reactions attending to those things um and you know if you read the fuse, there's a pace to it that is just um brilliant and of course that's the writing but but that's also the cartooning there's not a there's not a, any a, you know there's not like so little that it feels threadbare it's a very developed visual world with very um specific and um and identifiable characters with identifiable emotions in every scene but it's not bogged down you know with um with just flora and fauna you know it's just so uh effectively told um and that's that's why I love Greenwood's art um you know when you when I compare him to some of his peers you know and maybe we'd say here like artists doing the image books that um are coming out these days your your Nick Dragata's and your Wes Craigs and your uh, Mateo Scaleras you know there may be others who are smoother or quirkier or slicker or um denser or more dramatic um uh, and and I like those artists a lot, just as I was a you know huge fan of of your Kniffs and your um, E.C. Segers and stuff like that, and the, those comic strip artists. But there's just nobody who gets me into the story like Chester Gould did, and um, and that's what I appreciate about Justin's art. Um, it's cool looking. It's um, he's able to represent uh, you know diverse characters um, with distinctive personalities that don't feel like stereotypes um, the, the um, kinds of designs he has for settings and backdrops and worlds um, he draws cars and vehicles that move and they really feel like they're moving uh, off the page um, his sort of um, panel spacing storytelling always reflective of the the right pace of the story um, all that stuff is just craft that he does really well but, um, but it's also just that, as I said, on that scale of, of cartoonishness, I, just, I feel like I can enter in with his uh, characters um, and, and have the kind of emotional connection in a very quick and efficient manner. And often in a setting that's not easy to do that because of, of the sort of high genre um, trappings of, his, of the stories that he's been involved in. Um, but I'm in. And and, and I'm brought in by his art. So um, I think that's, you know, I think something I can say about about, uh, Greenwood's art, something I can say about The Fuse. Um, More to say. I have more notes here, but I'm going on way too long. Um, Tomorrow I'll be back with the daily program with uh, Thursday's Throwback. I'm going to talk about the new Green Arrow celebration of 75 years that just came out and uh talk a little bit about that character um and in society (laughs) bernie sanders with with um as as a justice league member (laughs) all right so thanks for listening and uh keep reading